This is 92.5 Phoenix FM, Community Radio for Dublin 15. Broadcasting from the Blanchestan Centre, this is Phoenix FM. It is so unpredictable. How do you, how do you predict what's going to happen inside the chamber? Ladies and gentlemen, it is the WrestleView International Desk here on WrestleView.com and Phoenix 92.5 FM every Friday night, 9 p.m. to half nine on PhoenixFM.ie and Phoenix 92.5. Okay, guys, it is time for the WrestleView Chamber, the return segment here on, uh, of course, the WrestleView International Desk 2013, our first WrestleView Chamber. I am Daryl O'Connor. Although I'm not alone, I'm joined on the line by Gary Herden and Corey McChrystal. How are things, Gary? Yeah, not bad, Daryl. How are you? Good, man. Good. Um, of course, before we bring Corey in, uh, this was your segment. You text, texted me there during the week about this. So, uh, kudos to you because I'm going to say right now at the beginning of the broadcast that I had no idea, no idea about this um, time period because I actually stopped watching then. Completely for about a year and a year and a half. So from the end of 2003 into 2004, 2005. So it's basically going to be Gary and um, Corey discussing this with my moderation. So uh, uh, Corey, you of course were a big fan of this time period as well, were you? I was a huge fan of this time period. This time period, I would say, rivals the uh, new era of wrestling that we saw in the early 90s where stars like Shawn Michaels and Bret Hart finally got screen time over more established, slower, larger stars like Hulk Hogan and Randy Savage. Okay, so what we're going to do now is, Gary, uh, outline exactly what topic we're going to be discussing here on the rest of you International Desk Chamber, and then we'll take it from there. Okay, yeah, so for those who don't know, uh, the SmackDown 6, as they were collectively known, uh, it kind of took place between um, August of 2002 into the, um, early 2003. Uh, it was Edge, Rey Mysterio, Chris Benoit, Kurt Angle, Eddie Guerrero, and Chavo Guerrero. Um, they ended up splitting off into tag teams. So the tag teams were Edge and Rey, uh, Benoit and Angle and Los Guerreros. Um, it, at the time, it was being booked. It was being booked by um, Paul Heyman. So he had the main event 
or the championship level guys at the time was a big show, Brock Lesnar, who held the title, and Undertaker. So he wanted to make kind of good and proper use of the guys just a little bit below uh, on the card, and this is what he came up with. Um, it also saw the introduction of the new tag team titles, and it started by being involved in the tournament. And interestingly enough, the tournament final match was uh, Edge and Ray versus Benoit and Angle, which took place on the 2002 No Mercy. And that won match of the year, which is, I mean, that was on the same card uh, that it was Brock and Taker in Hell in a Cell. I'm open to being corrected, but I think that was the same card. I, I think you're correct, but you um, are, you, I'm going to have to do you are correct. You are correct there. I have the card in front of me. It's Brock, uh, Brock Lesnar with Paul Heyman versus The Undertaker. Um, on that, you also had the Intercontinental Unification and the World oh, Heavyweight Kane Championship. Kane Triple H. Kane and Triple H. And yeah. a very good match with Rob Van Damme and Ric Flair. And, of course, the Cruiserweight Championship was there as well. And a, a, a terrible World Tag Team Championship, Chris Jericho and uh, Christian <laughs> versus Booker T and Goldust. So, yeah, yeah a, and I mean, a sleeper and card. That, that kind of shows, like, I mean, that's quite interesting. Like, that tag team match was just the absolute pit. And then Paul Heyman book in a tag team division. And that match won match of the year. And, like, they carried on. They went two or three pay-per-views and they just tore the place down. Um the Survivor Series that had the Elimination Chamber, the debut of the Elimination Chamber, yes, that had a three-way tag elimination tag team match as well. Mm. And I mean, that nearly overshadowed the Chamber. It was that good. Well, um, Gary, just just to stop you there, you know, the, the 2002 time period um, into 2003 and 2004, it's when SmackDown really got its its footing as far as hitting the hitting its stride. And there were a lot of elements for this. I, I need should give some background. In 2002, I actually stopped watching because I wasn't watching SmackDown religiously. I was watching Raw, and Raw was so atrocious. By the middle of 2003, I just kind of tapped out there. So it's interesting. Everything you're saying, it was um, it was existing as a, as its own brand there, and they were actually doing everything correctly. But in case anybody was anybody was wondering. This is how I ended up watching TNA because I did not want SmackDown. I instead I decided to leave the WWE completely. Yeah, um, I, with Heyman booking, like SmackDown was always the kind of the wrestling show. Yes, where Raw was the one for your storylines and to further all that stuff. I, uh, Gary, I would go stop you there and say Raw was the Triple H show. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, in that time period, yeah. Um. So, to give the likes of your Benoit's and Angles and Eddie's uh, this kind of free reign, like it, on TV on SmackDown, like they'd have single matches between these six guys. They'd have varying uh, triple threat matches involving three of the six guys, and they were given time. And these guys just tore it up week in, week out. Um, now, oh. of course. Sorry. Oh God, yeah. I uh, just to cut in when you were saying when these guys actually had singles matches with each other, you you had six guys who collectively had a brilliant tag team feud. But then you go into the six guys intertwining fates, and you look at guys like uh, 
Edge and Kurt Angle, who had a fantastic rivalry, which essentially, you know, raised both of those men's careers. I mean, if if we have to think about where those two men would be right now if they didn't feud with each other, Kurt Angle would probably still have his hair. Uh, <laughs> we would have never got the you suck chance, hmm. which were so important to getting Kurt Angle over as a heel again. Hmm. Edge would have, I I actually sometimes do think that Edge would not have uh, reached the ascent that he did if he didn't get, you know, those crucial victories over Kurt Angle that made him a legitimate threat. I think he would have stayed in mid-card hell forever. Do you think so? Totally agree. Do you think so? Because remember, he was already getting over. He had established himself, he had established himself as a tag team competitor and had won the King of the Ring. This is true. It was this is the true. Kurt Angle matches. Exactly what Gary's saying. I mean, prior to the Kurt Angle matches, Edge was feuding with William Regal in okay. Brass Knuckles on a Pool matches. Okay, yeah. And after those ma- after the matches was Kurt Angle. I mean, I don't want to knock William Regal. He's certainly one of my favorite wrestlers. But the way that was booked, you would never see William Regal on. You know, he just wasn't as an insurmountable opponent as Kurt Angle would be considered. Mm, particularly at this time period, you're one hundred percent right, Gary. Please continue. Yeah, um, just to what Corey or what we were saying, like when they got involved in singles matches away from the tag team stuff, because I mean the tag team stuff was on another level, and it's something that we definitely haven't seen like tag team wrestling at that level i mean in the last well up till the present day like they seem to be putting a little bit more time into the tag team division now but i mean this is the archetype this is what they should be looking at uh, on how to do proper tag team wrestling um but yeah no the, the the singles matches as well anytime they got involved together and bearing in mind the team of benoit and angle was built around that they didn't trust each other and it came from them having a singles feud that they ended up kind of becoming this tag team uh, because at the start of the tournament, there was spaces left. So Stephanie, in her infinite wisdom, decided to pair people together and one of the pairings was Benoit and Angle. And I mean, when they faced each other, I mean, those matches were just unreal. And as a team, they had such great chemistry as well. And Gary, can I can I just ask you? Um, I hate to interrupt, but was this the feud? Because Kurt Angle and Chris Benoit feuded numerous times. Was this yep. the feud where we saw nine chained together German suplexes? Yes, yes. Because each man was known for chaining together three <laughs> German suplexes. Yeah, that was their version of three amigos. And there was, I seem to remember, a distinct cage match where Chris Benoit chained together nine German suplexes. Yeah, that was from this feud, and then they ended up teaming. Unreal. And, like, bearing in mind, Edge was kind of new to the singles competition, relatively, at this stage. And as you say, he had won King of the Ring, and he was a multiple-time Intercontinental Champion at that stage. But working with the likes of Eddie, um, Benoit, and Angle definitely pushed him on into the main event status. Uh, Ray had just kind of debuted as well, and... His style offered something to it. If there was a weak link in the six, it, yeah, it was Chavo. But the match level was so high that that didn't really matter. Mm. Well, okay, just moving on here a little bit to this. Um, let's look at the legacy of um, the SmackDown 6. We have Chris Benoit, who 
is anathema right now in the WWE. Officially. Unofficially, he's still still hailed as one of the best professional wrestlers to ever lace up a pair of boots. Kurt Angle's in TNA. He has a Hall of Fame legacy um, in both companies and is an integral part of TNA. Edge, of course, um, is retired due to his numerous injuries, but considered to be a you know, phenomenal uh, wrestler in his own right. Rey Mysterio, still kicking around. Multiple-time world champion. Eddie Guerrero sadly passed away, but considered to be, again, a, a great. And Chavo Guerrero's in TNA right now doing nothing. Who is the biggest success out of the SmackDown 6? Uh, we already know who the weakest link here is, and it is Chavo Guerrero, sadly. But, um, Gary, who do you think benefited most from the SmackDown 6 here? Well, I mean, first off, they all went on to win world championships, apart from Chavo. I mean, you could say he won the ECW championship, but, <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it's it's thin you know um but i mean edge went on to be a world champion as did ray as did benoit as did i probably edge uh would, would be my choice because before it i wouldn't have thought he would make a one-time world champion um but to go on to win so much um yeah edge would be my pick as to who benefited and gained most from being involved in the smackdown six okay um what about you Corey? um I would have to agree, though. I would put in an addendum and say that uh, Rey Mysterio's credibility was definitely helped because, really, this was uh, one of the first times we actually saw Rey, you know, working with guys who were out of the cruiserweight division. I mean, uh, I seem to remember previous to previously to this, you know, WWE had an extremely vibrant cruiserweight scene. It's true. It's, it's very, very true. You know, you did actually have quite a bit of emphasis put onto this. And this was around the same time period as well when Velocity was there. Um, and they were really emphasizing the cruiserweight division before it went to die, basically. So you're right. Yes. Yeah. And it was on, um, it was actually on SmackDown that uh, Rey Mysterio won his first world title. Um, some would say in, d- in dubious booking circumstances following the unfortunate passing of Eddie Guerrero mm. um, but and also the way he was booked to lose consecutively to Mark Henry Kane and the great Kelly but still it in the long run helped his credibility credibility immensely and but really I would say the main victor out of this were the fans and the viewers because these were some fantastic wrestling matches mm. and again it's a shame that I, I did miss it. Um, I will have to go back and have a look at it, but uh, it's definitely a time period for a lot of wrestling fans um, that sticks with them, particularly why when the news of Eddie's passing hit, it hit a lot of wrestling fans very, very, very severely. And then, of course, when the Benoit tragedy happened, even more so. But, Gary, uh, the question I have for you is, would this work in 2013 could they do something like this now on a smackdown for example which suffers so many issues and is in a rapid decline um i think it could be done but you have to bear in mind that if you look at the smackdown six edge has retired as you said both eddie and benoit have passed away angle i mean angle was never 100 percent to begin with like re- wrestling fit, so um, Ray's had a like a huge amount of injuries as well, and I think this level of high impact wrestling 
from this time, like going back to 2002, um, definitely played a part in Edge retiring, what happened to Eddie, what happened to Benoit, um, Angle's multiple injuries and Ray's multiple injuries. The only one who kind of has came off unstaved has been Chavo. Um, so, I mean, that would have to be looked at because, you know, if you don't learn from your past mistakes, you're bound to uh, endure them again, you know. Mm. So, if I think it could work, um, but it have to be, they'd have to take a lot more care of the guys who could potentially be involved in the six. Okay. Uh, and uh, Corey, what do you think about this? Do you think it could work in uh, 2013? I do, uh, but if I can put on my uh, well, my Kevin Sullivan fantasy booking hat here, I mean, you do have certain elements in the WWE today. You have great wrestlers and even some great teams that have already been put together, such as Road Scholars and mm. Team Hell No. Yes. But at the same time, uh, you would have to really... There, there was just this something that was with these, the SmackDown 6 that is really not it it was like catching lightning in a bottle really i mean there was a perfect storm of wrestling but also you know booking because these men uh it's something we see so often now in the tag team division in wwe there's just no reason to it i mean there none of the teams ever seem to have a reason to want to win matches there's no underlining that they want to be the best team Man. Well, hold on, if, Corey, just stop it here. The prime example of that is um, when Teddy Long comes out and books a tag team match. Yes. Randomly. And, and we we see this time and time and time again. Uh, the, these thrown together tag team matches or worse still, when a team of two singles competitors gets thrown in with uh, what we're supposed to take as an established tag team and it just becomes a demolishment. I mean... It, it completely undermines the meaning of a tag team match where it's a team working together to, you know, it's it's the sum of two halves working together greater than what you would think it would be, basically. Mm. I mean, this team's supposed to come together to form something that is shouldn't just be beatable by two guys working individually. That's that's the tag team division in a nutshell. And JBL recently summed it up great greatly when he was um, explaining why Kane and Daniel Bryan work, uh, work so well together. It, he basically said, when you stick two guys who are world heavyweight championship caliber athletes in, in the ring, it doesn't matter what tag team they're against, they are going to win. And, you know, is, is that true? We, we saw in the uh, heydays of the tag team division, we saw guys like the Dudleys and Edge and Christian, you know, pull off great victories against, you know, so-called world heavyweight champions or WWE champion tag teams that are just hastily thrown together. So I think uh, this emphasis on the WWE tag team division that's already there, I mean, we have some great teams together. Um, the personal favorite of mine would be the primetime players if they were ever actually given any more momentum. I, I just think for this to happen, we would actually need to... Well, I say we, but uh, the WWE basically would need to have uh, an element wherein 
they do have people that work well together with great tag team chemistry. And it does work extremely often. I mean, even in TNA, we saw guys who were great singles competitors like uh, Bobby Roode and James Storm come together to form a fantastic tag team. Mm. So they, they need competitors like that, but they also need competitors who can work together you know, in singles competition. And right now, I don't really think that that's there, so to speak. Well, see, if I can just weigh in on that, I think there is a potential for something like this to happen again, but the brands have to be established. You can't have uh, the Raw 6 or the SmackDown 6 that are exclusive to said brand and appearing on Raw or appearing on NXT. I, I don't think that... In the way the structure is now, it could support something like this. And Gary, um, I want to turn to you here. Would you agree with that? Do you think maybe the Raw Super Show makes something like this completely impossible? Yeah, I think so. Um, and especially with the extra hour on Raw, you know, it's overexposure. Like, the SmackDown 6 worked so well was because it was, number one, specific to SmackDown. And it created such a buzz because, as you say, not many people watch SmackDown. So it was the whole word of mouth thing, which I don't think you'd get today, especially because, I mean, everybody's on Raw and everybody's on SmackDown, you know? it would You would have to reestablish the brands as well, as you say there. And can that be done? Because even with NXT now as well, which we praised greatly last week, and I will urge everybody to watch it um, again, continuously but that is so awesome because it's it's unique to itself it looks totally different feels completely different and yet there is a t- an element which upset you Gary with the whole uh, telegraphing Biggie Lansing, uh, Langston going to win the title sorry guys yeah. spoiler alert um, yeah they, they telegraph it and it's slightly mud- muddled because you have the shield shown, shown up on Raw oh wait uh, Seth Rollins doesn't have the belt what's going on but according to the thing he does you know, there, there yeah. is this this muddling of the water between the whole of the WWE, and I think that needs to be addressed. Like Ex- it, that that was last week's NXT. Yes, that was televised. Was the one Big E Langston won the title. Yes, and like, but we knew about it since what about the end of October. <laughs> so it, yes. I mean, it's it's hugely telegraphed, mm. and that's a problem. But that's I mean, that's a total side problem. Um, yeah, they would have to re-establish the brands because it has to be something that's unique to the show, to one show. It can't be across the board because then you get overexposure. Well, what do we think about this idea that um, we saw something like this with TNA um, in its heyday, shall we say, 2000 and 2005 to 2008, I would say, would be the TNA heyday with some uh, bright spots in 2009. Um, that they took a similar idea, had the set group, you know, we're talking guys like Joe, Angle, um, Styles, Styles uh, and all that kind of group that were working together. Um, and they produced some of the best matches. Then you had uh, incomers like Sting, uh, Raven, just to kind of pat it out. Do you think maybe they took that idea from it, um, or at least the structure of something like the X, the X Division? Structurally, yeah. Um, you see, the other thing as well you have to take into into account with the SmackDown Six is that they were boiled by, like, say, having Brock Lesnar and Undertaker and Big Show at the time on top. Mm. But they were also helped by, you know, really good mid carders as well. Your Matt Hardys, your Tajiris, your Jamie Nobles, who could kind of, you know, 
just kind of flit in. So like it could be Eddie against Noble or something, and they'd put on a great match, but Kurt would interfere, something like that, you know. They, okay. As you say, they had the padding, mm. and they had really, really good padding. And I think that's important. When you have an overarching storyline like this, you need to have all the elements, and I think that's something that... Um, if you want to draw comparisons to the NWO was the reason why people lost interest because there wasn't that padding um, to help it along it was just people putting shirts and it on became too overexposed exactly again a yeah. problem that WWE still hasn't actually learned so to sum this up Gary to uh, to end this segment and end the rest of you international desk here this week on Phoenix 92.5 FM um, the Smackdown 6 did it bring wrestling back to the WWE and do you think that um it should be looked at maybe as a model going forward into the future. Uh, yeah, it definitely brought wrestling back um, in, in that time period where it wasn't so soap opera heavy. You didn't have Triple H um, fondling with a mannequin. Hmm. <laughs> um, it, yeah, it is, it's a very, very good archetype uh, for uh, utilizing people who might have dropped off the main event scene but are still high enough in the mid card but to give them something you know as Corey said believable to work towards yes yes and I, I think that's important because nowadays you look at any kind of match and they're feuding for no reason just if it comes across like we have time we need to fill it with something let's, and yeah let's just throw something together exactly um, so it, it's yeah the premise is definitely one that could be looked at again. Maybe not, you know, a full-blown, you know, retelling of the SmackDown 6 in 2013. Hmm. But there's definitely bits and pieces that could be looked at and tweaked to suit the situation now that would make a better overall product. Okay, and Corey, final word on the SmackDown 6. Was one of my favorite times in wrestling. It was uh, great, great for wrestling, and I don't mean that in the sports entertainment uh, way. I mean that in actual you know, ring-based action. You did have the storylines like uh, Edge consistently getting the better Kurt Angle, mm. but then you also had the fantastic in-ring work. Um, really, it's a great, great time for wrestling. Uh, it really, um, it really established SmackDown as the dominant brand in in a wrestling sense. I mean, for a period of I think three or four years, every time there would be an interpromotional, you know, tag team elimination tag team match, SmackDown would always win. Oh yeah, always. Oh yeah, and uh, I think that's something that the remnants have been slowly washed away. But it, it makes more sense for people maybe who think this was silly or the, the bragging rights. You know, that if that pay per view, for example, had have existed back then, I think maybe it would have meant something. But doing it five years out six years out it just makes it ridiculous but um, I think with that we're going to have to wrap up guys I want to thank you all for listening in to the rest of you international desk here on Phoenix 92.5 FM and we will see you next week here on the rest of you international desk <laughs>